Hey guys, welcome to the debrief after our episode with Sam Bankman Freed, SBF. Is bank in the name? We are bankless, but we had SBF on the program. Do you know funny, it, I David? forgot to make that joke. You know, you know, it's what the debrief is for. It's what yeah. all this exclusive premium content is mm. uh, for you guys. Something else I didn't mention in the podcast. You know, uh, you I know you know this, but for mm-hmm. for people who are listening, SBF had me blocked on Twitter for like right. a lot of months. And I don't know why I was bothered by that, but I got to be honest, I was a little bit bothered because... I think you were bothered I, because it was unexplained, right? It and was you did, unexplained. You, it, you didn't yeah, know where it I, came from. I didn't know where it came from. We had never have had an interaction. It was just... And I tried... Look, I mean, everyone on Twitter is like a more concise, concentrated, hypey, version, concentrated of version of yeah. themselves and their opinions, but that's just how Twitter is. But I tried generally to be collegial. Uh, collegial i'm not like getting into like twitter spats very often um anyway i was blocked and i didn't know why and then at the beginning of the year um sbf unblocked me there was like this huge uh jubilee this unblocking jubilee i think is what you called it right on twitter (laughs) and a former different camps in crypto just started unblocking each other and then he unblocked me and then uh one thing led to another and he eventually came on the podcast and uh, I'm curious what you think about him now having spent an hour and a half with the guy. Yeah, he seems, uh, I th- we didn't have time to ask this question. I wanted to ask if he was a workaholic or not, but he seems a relentless builder. As yes. in like the guy doesn't know what to do with himself if not to go build something. Yes. Uh, and, and that was part of that conversation of just like if Sam saw like arbitrage opportunity in the orange juice markets, like would he go build a guy? I feel gig- like he couldn't help it. Yeah, I feel yeah. like he'd be yeah. like, there's he's, an opportunity. And then compelled. Right. the computer mm-hmm. would be like, just, just focus on that opportunity and go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very type A type personality. Maybe type A is not the right way to put it, but just like. Focused. Yeah. Yeah. Just fo- uh, unhelpingly focused. What's the right word? He just can't help himself. Yes. He has to, he has to <laughs> yes. go build the thing. He can't leave the money on the table. Uh, and so like the, the crypto just really is good at attracting these types of people. It's like, Hey, do you want to like, do you see all these pennies and dollars and hundreds of dollar bills just laying around? And do you want to just like suck up all of it? Some people just can't say no to that. And they, that is their hobby. That's like some people play world of Warcraft. Some people go to the gym and SPF just build stuff Look, in man, crypto. That some is people- better do those metal detectors on the beach and they're looking right. for things, right? You yeah. know, that's mm-hmm. what SBF does. He's like, it's arbitrage. Ah, I got to find it. Mm-hmm. And so like, I've always had this concern in the back of my head about his commitment to donating all of his wealth, because I feel like it's a very easy thing for billionaires to say. They're just, they're really, really good at being billionaires. And like, I feel like if somebody like SPF just like, wiped the slate clean and threw away all of his money and started from zero, he would end up being a billionaire like again, like, you know, a few years later. You really think that? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. There's yeah. I I think some people are just like conducive to this and they have the right mind just to do it all over again. Uh, He would have been like a flashbot trader somewhere, like doing something somewhere else. And yeah, he he would just, we would have figured it out. Like, I think he comes from a decently well off family. He went to, where where did he go to school? Some very uh, Ivy league school. I'm pretty sure. Um, but like at the same time, like he, he, I don't think he used any of his like you know family wealth to create FTX or Alameda. I think I it mean, was all he just on his did own backs. That. It's crazy. Yeah. The past mm-hmm. five years, right? Three years for right. FTX and five years total for uh, Alameda. 
Right. So when all these, when these billionaires say like, oh, I'm going to give all my wealth away, like from one perspective, it's like, oh, okay, sure. You just say that. That's, but like also at the same time, when, when the game is so easy for people like Sam, like, well, it doesn't actually, it's not like they were like, are, it's hurting them to give that money away. It's not like he is like, well, now I can't buy this really nice thing that I want. It's just like to him, it's just points on a, on, know, a, on a scoreboard. But that's never really bothered me. That argument of like why someone's doing something, why someone's giving billions away is like, mm-hmm. or millions away is less important to me than that they're doing it. And like whatever underlying motives are. And sometimes individuals don't know why, like even they don't know their underlying motives. The fact that he's doing it, as long Mm -hmm. as this is a credible commitment to do it. And I think like when you go out in public and say you're going to do it, it's, um, it's a fairly credible social contract that you've just made because you know, everyone ever remember people don't forget it. Yeah. And like, you can just say it in passing. I mean, it's just like, like hypothetically part of his brand. It's part of his brand now. So it's going to be a socially binding contract. So I totally think he's going to do it. And regardless of, of why he does it, billions get given away. Isn't that mm-hmm. fantastic? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think that's a, that's a great thing. I think that's, that's okay in my book. It's fantastic. It's also, it's more of a logistical question, really, because like he has probably such a high supply of Solana tokens that he can't actually Don't sell them. Don't dump all this. Yeah, he'll send the the thing down to zero, uh, <laughs> and so like Solana actually needs to become and elevate itself to the level of Ethereum and Bitcoin, where it actually like lasts until the end of time and it grows some like globally strong level of liquidity. And like, and it's not there yet. And well, like, that's even worse with FTX. Like, FTX doesn't have any liquidity on his equity no, that he owns just, in FTX. It's, it's like it's like Elon Musk wealth, right. right? It's all in like Tesla and such, right? Yeah. Well, um, even Elon Musk was able to sell over a billion dollars of Tesla at the top. Uh, and but like Sam doesn't even have that option, right? Like he's actually so like he says he's going to donate all of his money to money to to charity, but like that all his wealth isn't liquid yet. It actually has to become liquid at some point. I would actually be. Um, I know like you can't really ask someone what exa- tell us exactly percentage of your portfolio, Sam. Like that right. was not a question we could ask, but he no. said it was uh, mostly FTX. But I've got to think uh, Alameda has has to be a huge portion of that, and they have holdings in. All sorts of things like mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, Solana, a lot of uh, Avalanche, most recently, like, I don't know what their portfolio looks like, um, but it's uh, a lot of different, you know, crypto asset investments. I would be so curious to, to see what what his portfolio actually looks like from a percentage perspective. Um, I bet it's pretty low Bitcoin mm-hmm. things, all things compared and probably pretty low Ether. If I, I had to Bitcoin, guess, though. you think so? Yeah. <laughs> If I had Damn, to I should have, we should have asked that question. Son of a bitch. Well, do you think part of this is like, again, generational when people enter the market? So he entered the market in 2017, right? And then really, really hardcore started building in the market in 2019. Mm-hmm. By that time, like Bitcoin was already sort of showing its age. So he doesn't necessarily have the Bitcoin reverence. Right. That, you know, the exchanges like uh, Brian Armstrong, Coinbase founder, does do. I would say perhaps even yeah, that you and I do, because like I know. You, oh, yeah. You know, I like, have heavy reverence for Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. It, like bankless listeners might be surprised about that. But like a ton of my uh, values in this space come from Bitcoiners. I just think it's <laughs> that's a different topic for a different day. But that's but like, 
yeah, that's the other thing. He he came with a different set of values too. He came as a trader looking for the arbitrage opportunity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very much a technologist, much more than he is a monetary theorist, right? Like, I don't sense an ounce of like Austrian in SBF <laughs> in the way that like Austrian basic- economics. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not not the country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, like, and that's been such a fundamental primitive about like crypto culture up to this last bull run. It's like well, are all the people coming into like NFTs, for example, or people that are going and using Solana or Avalanche because they hate Ethereum gas fees. Like those people aren't Austrian. Yeah. Like, uh, like we are no longer onboarding Austrian people. Um, there's more like the technologists. Have, but that that's a really small, that's a really, I didn't, don't you think we got them all? <laughs> yeah. That's what I've been telling Bitcoiners from day one is like, <laughs> you, got yo, you, you guys saturated. got all the Bitcoiners, like in the 2018 to 2020 bear market, Bitcoiners like dwarfed Ethereum community, like three to five to one or something. They're, they're still far louder. They're very, they're far, far louder. And they, they just said, hey, look at the size of us. Like, we're just going to leave Ethereum cult community in the dust. And I was telling them from day one, it's like, you guys got all the libertarians. <laughs> like, all well, of the people that care about Bitcoin have already discovered Bitcoin. There's only this small holdout of, like, Bitcoin or uh, gold bugs right. that they keep, like, trying to chip away at. And, like, yeah. you're never going to get them. They are right. as entrenched and determined as, as you, as buddy. You know, right. And they keep going after that market as if that's going to be a larger market. But it's like everyone who has been captured, who can be captured, kind of mm-hmm. has been captured by Bitcoin at this point. And, and Austria, okay, anyway. to, to make this uh, conversation relevant to the podcast, like, do you think that's true about the dynamics between Solana and Ethereum or like the all layer ones in Ethereum? Well, I, th- I kind of think that uh, the way Solana could win and do well is the same way FTX did well which is kind of raw execution, mm. just raw out executing. Brute, brute force through execution. Brute force through pure execution. Product, I go after the product. Marketing, yeah. Yeah, product, marketing, brute force, push it. I think there okay, is but in your answer, what are you success. leaving behind? What are they not doing then? I, what am, well, obviously they're not prioritizing uh, decentralization, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, I act, I think that they're going, they're going to be come up against a really hard pivot in time, which is like, they have to embrace the roll-up centric future and their, uh, design strategies leave, leave, leave. That's going to be a costly choice when they have to make it. I think roll-ups over the long run are better tech and are going to far outperform from a performance perspective, anything that a monolithic, uh, chain can do, mm-hmm. but like, when when this is a really probably one of the more, most insightful pieces when uh, for, that I took away from this when we asked SBF, hey, uh, how do you prioritize new chains? How much you love new chains or not at FTX? He said three things, and I this is the prioritized order is what I got in his response. Number one, transactions per second. Number two, does the block space uh, the blockchain have block space demand? Number three. Is it decentralized enough? And the interesting thing is number three was kind of like the other answers were like um, uh, they had a spectrum, but number three was just a binary. It was like a yes, no answer. Mm. Eh, It looks decentralized enough. It's probably okay. You know? And so how would I rank choice that? Flip it around completely, like complete inverse. Mm -hmm. Is it decentralized enough is number one, right? That's like critical sync thesis. Number two is their block space demand. Also super important, but comes after number one, because 
the way you get decentral uh, block space demand is through decentralization. Right. Of course, you yeah. have to have a unique product that, that no one else wants. And number three, TPS, that's later. Like build on the foundation first, and then uh, TP. So I would completely right. invert the prioritization from how he looks at things. And so the the funny aspect about that is like, and this is this is like four hundred one lesson right uh, topic right now is like when you prioritize decentralization, that is Austrian. Because that yeah. is what turns into the scarcity, the sound money. So it turns into money. And, right. And so yeah. like when we say Sam's not Austrian, he's all about technology. It's like what we're, what, and when we talk about the differences between these L1 assets, between Solana, Avalanche, and ETH, is that ETH, Ether, is the, the values of Ethereum is decentralization first, block space demand second, throughput third. And that that decentralization first is what turn is is what provides scarcity uh, towards ether the asset, and what provides like Austrian economics elements into the East ether the asset, of which a lot of the Ethereum community, regardless of whether they say it or not, definitely got learned from Bitcoin during the twenty eighteen to twenty twenty bear market. Yep. Yeah. Interesting relationship between all these things. It it is, and because that's my thesis going in, there's no way I could make the call that. Sam made about a year yeah, right. at this time, at least like on a long term holding horizon. I like I could definitely say a year ago when Solana was like trading at three dollars, like, oh hey, if this narrative picks up steam and uh Ethereum runs out of block space and people are looking for alternative layer ones, well then the, the alt layer one narrative is gonna crank hard mm-hmm. and you're gonna want wanna own some Solana tokens. You're gonna wanna own some soul, uh, soul in that scenario, right? But I couldn't have the confidence of being like, buy and hold this thing for like right. five to 10 years because right. decentralization is number one priority. I guess if TPS was number one priority, right, uh-huh. um, then like I would view the entire space differently. Yeah. If that, if that was me and I was like copy trading SBF when he wrote that tweet is like, sell me all of your soul at $3 and fuck off. Like say I did that and like okay like maybe I'll do the narrative trade. I would have watched Soul go from like three dollars to like ten dollars and, and like hit the it? sell button and be like, all right, nailed buy it. <laughs> yeah, buy, back to ETH. I hit the narrative. Perfect. Done. Yeah, got the got the got the alpha. Yeah. yeah, but no, would not have been able to hold that thing to where it is now at eighty dollars, and definitely not to where it was at two hundred and fifty. No, it takes conviction to hold like that, or right. or you have to buy super low. I guess I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, one of one of these two things. Yeah. yeah. So, how do you contrast um, Sam from Brian Armstrong? Mm. Well, so Brian Armstrong is a Bitcoiner, right? And yeah. so, like, he's got the Austrian in him. He's got the decentralization first. Um, Maybe less comparison to Brian Armstrong, but of Coinbase itself is just like Sam is like definitely um, let's move as fast as possible. And I would like to say move fast and well, no, I wouldn't like to, but like you could say like move fast and break things, but like FTX doesn't really seem to be move, breaking ever. Just execute. Yeah, just execute. Just move fast and don't break <laughs> things. And that's yeah. kind of seems to be FTX's strategy, which is like easier said than done. So the fact that it actually worked that way was immaculate. Uh, but like Coinbase has this unfortunate reality of like coming into crypto in 2012 and then like scaling in 2017. And so they had to hire non crypto people. And so like the Coinbase ship, like kind of when it was, uh, SBF brought out, who was a city group? It was that city group that he asked like how many employees had. And there was like a quarter million. Yeah, of them. It was, it was city. Right. Yeah. So like Coinbase has over, over a thousand employees. 
And so yeah. like, I mean, it's not a quarter million like Citigroup, but like comparison to FTX, like it's still a much larger ship that is harder to pivot. Uh, and so like, I feel like that just explains the rise of FTX in the face of like a much like more gargantuan competitor in Coinbase and just like Coinbase had to hire like normal, normal marketing people and normal engineers, not crypto engineers or crypto marketers. It's all founder DNA stuff too. The other difference between Brian and, and, um, Sam is, uh, Brian is a holder. He's not Mm. a trader. That's that's what he said in our conversation with him. Like we were asking, he's like, I'm a holder. I, I buy and I hold. Right. Uh, Sam is, not just comfortable with trading. That's what he he's loves. Good at. That's what he's, he's good, good at. at. Yeah. He does for a living. That's his thing is trading. And so how does a, a holder build up a, a product like a, a crypto banking type product versus how does a trader build a crypto banking type product? And what you're seeing is what you see is Coinbase is very like it doesn't feel much like Robin Hood. OK, it feels like a bit more. um sturdy stable safe um holder friendly i mean look at bank vault yeah look how much work they've done to make sure that the coinbase has like the highest security standards in the industry it's like the most trusted from a reputational perspective with coinbase uh custody right and what is what does sam go build a bunch of products that for traders that traders understand it just so happens that the like the trader user persona in crypto is like massive and from a volume perspective is larger than like obviously holders right um so i do think that they're also taking the product in different directions from not just from a values perspective but just from a who they are perspective like holder versus trader what's their vision of of a crypto exchange going to be and it's you know it's ftx and it's it's coinbase i wonder what that how that uh, difference gets expressed when like both FTX and Coinbase bring on like new institutions. Cause like, I feel the boomer institutions of the world, if you will, will find more interest in Coinbase than they do FTX. Yeah. But like the newer institutions of tomorrow might actually start to tap into FTX just because of perhaps what they've built is a superior product. But it's just different boomers, right? It's like Citadel versus, (laughs) you know, like, like a Citadel or jump capital or something like this, right? Like there's definitely a institutional trading type um persona in wall street in traditional finance that Mm -hmm. ftx can tap into that um coinbase maybe doesn't tap into as much um but yeah i uh i see the point there i the other person okay so i don't know if like you were getting canadian accent vibes a little bit big time okay lots of the canadian ooze i don't know i I heard that too i heard that too um uh he also reminds me a little bit of Vitalik in some ways. A little bit. A, li- a little neuroatypical, right? Okay. Yeah. So there's some Vitalik coming through maybe, um, but also totally different in terms of substance. and yes. um, Direction. Yeah. Direction and that sort of thing. But uh, I don't know. I The guy's 30. He's doing quite well. I don't know where he goes from here. It's um, it's pretty incredible what FTX, what, what they've built. And I got to say, I remember when FTX launched, I was like, Oh really? Another crypto exchange. Good luck with that. We Mm -hmm. have like Coinbase and Gemini and Kraken and Binance. It's a crowded market. So good luck with that buddy. And here we are. uh, His Wikipedia profile is, is really, really interesting. Uh, Sam Bankman fried born in 1992, same year as me. 
on the campus of Stanford University, uh, uh, but to the son of Barbara Freed and Joseph Bankman, both law professors at Stanford, when he was 14 years old, his mother noticed that he spontaneously developed an interest in utilitarianism, lending it to the fact ah, that... Ah, utilitarianism. When, yeah, there you go. So, so like, when uh, lending, lending itself to the fact of that, like, when he says, I'm going to donate my money, he's probably yeah. speaking the truth. Uh, spontaneous interest in utilitarianism at 14 years old. That's the most neuroatypical thing I could read. <laughs> spontaneous yeah. interest in utilitarianism. Yeah, yeah, right. So that's the Vitalik element, right? It's not a phase everyone goes through. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, nothing about living in Canada or where that Canadian accent came from. I don't know. It's Maybe it's just a speaking style. Maybe um, he's hanging out with some Canadians. Uh, I don't know what else. I do know that we need to get CZ on the yep. podcast too to kind Gotta of complete collect. the set. Complete the gym badge set of the uh, exchanges. Yeah. The POAP set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we need. Um, let me see if there's anything else here. Nothing hugely surprising, though, I guess, mm-hmm. from my perspective. Like, I wasn't I wasn't surprised by anything he said. Um, mm. It was it was interesting to see him like vibrate and just like have the jiggle foot. Like he was vibrating the entire time. Oh, you, like it's traitor, man. It's like people in the background talking. Mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. have like a screen over here. He's like mm-hmm. typing stuff during the you know thing. It's there like were, executing if you trades. Want, if you know. looked at the full screen, you would see three bare feet in the background. Uh, <laughs> really? The person, the person behind and to his left was definitely barefooted at his desk. And then there was somebody with sandals that came on and, and behind Sam. So yeah, the, 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 the I noticed the number of bare feet that were in the background of this podcast. And it was a bankless all-time I, high, let me I tell was you. Gonna say, I, I was going to say, I know you, like, you you wanted to ask the question if he was a workaholic or not, right. but like <laughs> anyone can see that that the, the clip of his office setting and be like, oh, okay. The yeah. guy like probably sleeps there yeah. a lot of nights. And there's yeah. probably like a shower that, you know, Mm-hmm. on on site where he just like freshens up for the day and brushes his teeth and comes back to the desk yeah. the fact that he's on a desktop machine too yeah a windows desktop things. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. anyway that's sbf that's, that's SPF. um bankless take. Hope into you guys the mind. Enjoyed it. anything else Peace. david nothing all right guys uh thanks for joining us in the debrief peace